Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com. Coming up on the Money Beat Podcast, hey, remember that time we ate three pounds of cheese in the studio? This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Welcome to the Money Beat Podcast. Paul here in the studio. In the studio alone, by the way. I'm the only one here today, and it seems like uh, just about everyone's on vacation. And because just about everyone's on vacation, what we thought we would do today was just Look at a couple of the uh, more interesting pieces, more interesting podcasts we, we've done lately. I know that this podcast is so popular, getting new and new listeners every week. So maybe there are some of you out there that haven't heard these. And maybe there are some of you out there that want to revisit these. And, and the, it's kind of interesting. Some of the most colorful podcasts we've we've done have come via our commodities team. Some of the stories that our commodities reporters have written, you know, you think that stuff is, is very dry and boring, but... Uh, it actually isn't. I mean, it is it is interesting stuff. And so we had a couple of stories. I remember the story where uh, we had uh, our reporters were talking about the cheese glut facing the U.S. There was so much cheese being produced that it would take every Amer- every single American would have to eat three pounds of it to work off the glut. So we thought, well, uh, let's illustrate that on a podcast where nobody can see us by actually buying three pounds of cheese and bringing it into the studio and trying to eat it. So we we did that, and well, we didn't get through all the cheese. Uh, I'll, I'll give away a little spoiler there. <laughs> we didn't get through all the cheese, but it was it was fun trying. And then I don't know if you remember also another story that our reporters did. Uh, actually, Julie Wernow was in on both of those. Uh, Julie did a story about coffee and about the fact that. Coffee growers, because of the the economics of it, had been sitting on just mountains of beans, some of which were years and years old. So, folks, take a listen. If you if you haven't heard these, uh, you're gonna like them. They're they're good ones. They're 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 really. I'm not I'm not just saying this to get you to listen. Uh, they actually are pretty good. And if you've heard them before, hey, you know what? They are pretty good, so give them another listen. Welcome to the Money Bee Podcast. Paul and Stephen here in the studio with our dear friend Julie Wernow, who covers emerging markets and commodities. Sort of a split beat for you there, Julie. And, and folks out there, this hopefully you're, you're getting this podcast in the morning. You're having your your you have a little routine. I'm sure you have a little routine that involves coffee. Maybe you have your favorite coffee. Maybe you have the coffee you can only get your hands on right now and then and there. But the taste of the coffee, the the flavor of it, the beans, do you think folks out there, uh, Money Beat podcast listeners who also happen to love coffee, the small Venn diagram of, of, of you folks, do you think you're getting a good bean? That's what we're going to talk about today. We're talking about coffee beans. Why? Because of Julie's story. And uh, shocking, this story, Julie, we're now shocking about the the age of some of these beans that are on the market and why the the economics of the coffee market right now are dictating the fact that you out there, you folks out there, might start drinking some very old coffee. Very old. Very old. How old, Julie? <laughs> Julie, this, this is, uh, this is my, my toss to you to you know jump in here and tell us all about this story. That you have worked, actually, you've worked for this story on a, you have worked on this story for a very long time. Yeah, that's right. Um, Not as old as some of the coffee you're talking about. Nowhere near. Nowhere near. Um, yeah, there's uh, there's some beans out there that are, wait for it, 
Nine years old. Nine years. Coffee beans are being sold today that are nine years old. Yeah, basically what happened was uh, anyone who's been following the commodities markets knows that, you know, there was a a glut of everything. Right. (laughs) And coffee is just one of the few commodities that we can actually find out because of the some data that the exchange has how old the coffee is. There's a lot of other old commodities out there. We we really can't get this information about. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when you look at what happened um, as, you know, commodities prices tanked. Coffee started piling up and just getting older on average. And now uh, a lot of that coffee is going out the door because it's gotten so cheap and it's sat along so long that you can actually substitute with the kind of beans that are called robusta that are used in instant coffee. You can take these nice, fine Arabica beans um, that are now really, really old and really, really cheap and sub them in and sell the coffee. Wow. So where have these beans been hanging out? In warehouses, yeah, and um, they, they're, they're stored in these jute bags. Um, well, what is that? What's a? Do you say jute or juke? Jute, J-U-T-E. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's, if anyone's seen, you've seen those like coffee sacks. Yeah, yeah. You know, they make burlap? Like, pillows it, out of them. Yeah, it's yeah. like that. Okay, um, all right. And the thing that's interesting about coffee is it, it takes on sort of the flavors of what's around it, and so the older it gets, the more it tastes like a jute bag. Now that doesn't sound good. Actually. The first question I have is obviously with nine-year-old coffee. Is this bad for you? I mean, like you know, right. is there any uh, dangers to this? I how, mean, how is a nine-year-old coffee bean still sellable? Why has it not gone bad? I mean, I have things you know that you know go bad within a week in my fridge. I mean, you know, I try to stay away from those. Um, nine-year-old coffee. Uh, the truth is, no, it's not It's not dangerous. I talked to a bunch of uh, food scientists. They said usually, you know, these beans, they get roasted at very, very high heat. So if there's anything in there, I mean, then there probably is. It gets just roasted out and it's you can drink it. And a lot of consumers might not even know the difference depending how big of uh, coffee connoisseurs they are. So... Uh, like so, we have this you know glut of nine year old coffee, and it's not just nine year old; it could be eight year old. There's just coffee. Right, that's it, could up, it could be up to yeah. nine years. Yeah. yeah. On average, you know, I mean, it's pretty old. It's years old, and, yeah. and it begins losing flavor within a year. Yeah. So, yeah. Where, like, what? Where is this going to show up? If I'm a consumer and I'm going to the grocery store, or the coffee shop, where am I going to most likely see this? You know, sort of. Uh, Getting into my beans. Well, the, um, the 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 folks in the industry I talked to said that you're not you're probably not going to find this, for instance, at Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts or one of these you know one of your Brooklyn Roasters or you know one of these coffee shops. It's um, that's it's really, good news for me, Paul. Yeah. yeah. Does, does Dunkin' Donuts count as high end coffee now? You said that all in the same breath. Dunkin' Donuts is oh, I'm, as a Bostonian, I have to come to Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin' Donuts has always had great coffee. Uh, uh, no, I am I'm just happy. Uh, to, I'm happy. You're to get, not allowed I'm to go Dunkin to Massachusetts anymore. I buy Dunkin' Donuts coffee. I don't have a problem with it. I'm just glad to know that now I'm drinking high-end coffee. I wasn't aware of that. It's good coffee. But <laughs> I thought right. I was going down market. Yeah, I mean, it's considered it's considered a higher-grade coffee. Yeah, okay. yeah when, and 
in so, the world. So, <laughs> I'm sorry. So it won't show up at those places. Right. I mean, you're really what, what, what I'm told is it goes to these like sort of bulk roasters. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you you know, maybe some of the real generic canned coffees, um, things, you know, you could, instant, you could find in a grocery instant, store. Instant coffees or, instant you know, say coffee. you have those, oh, God, those ones that are, you know, it's not really clear. It just says like coffee blend, you know, um, right. they might be blending in some of these older beans um, or, if, you know, just anywhere where you're, it's really not clear um, where the beans came from, how old they are. Um, it's not like a very recognized brand. And, you know, you drink that a lot. I mean, you kind of go around, you grab a cup of coffee here and there, shop, um, or, you know, you go to a meeting and there's coffee. A lot of those industrial kinds of places would, would snatch this stuff up in a heartbeat. What about in emerging markets? You know, are you more likely to come across it in in markets, you know, um, Brazil, Turkey, if you're going to a coffee shop? Absolutely. Uh, For instance, in Brazil, uh, because of what happened with the the swings in their currency uh, over the last several months, um, it it became very lucrative for them to export like everything they could. And so they got down to these really low-grade, really old coffee stocks, which is what they used to actually... um, feed their own population coffee. <laughs> so if you're in Brazil wow. and you're thinking, oh, I'm in Brazil, it's a coffee-growing region, I'm going to have this amazing coffee while I'm visiting, I wouldn't count on it. So they, they, they exported the good stuff because there was a market for it, yeah. and they kept the older, lousy stuff for the Brazilians. Yeah, the Brazi- Brazilian real um, had had depreciated so much that uh, against the dollar that they were able to return really great profits in their local currency by selling these dollar-denominated wow. goods abroad. Uh, so they just, yeah, they just unleash. So, so, so that's a warning for everyone going to the Olympics this year. You Br- bring your own coffee. Yeah, bring yeah, your bring your own, own coffee. coffee. <laughs> Don't worry about Zika, but, you know, the coffee. Yeah. Is that the no, warning? No, I, you know, for for Brooklyn uh, night like myself, uh, no. I, you know, but you should be, you know, uh, importing your own coffee. You should bring your own coffee. To one of the great uh, yeah. coffee making. All right, let's, let's take a break. And when we come back, we are going to put our own palates to the test. We did we absolutely continuing with our podcast food eating theme. <laughs> uh, we put our own pod, our own palates to the test. We'll come back and we'll tell you exactly what we did. I'm Veronica Dagger and I want to retire rich. How about you? Then listen to the Watching Your Wealth podcast. We'll help you get there. For more information, check us out at wsj.com slash podcast and find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and now Spotify. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Welcome to the Money Beat Podcast. Paul Vigna with Eric Holm here. Stephen Grosser is still on vacation, and, and Eric, he's going to regret missing this one today. Oh, this is going to be awesome. This I cannot is... wait. I, I held off on lunch. <laughs> this is, I, I promise you, you uh, listeners at home, we are making podcasting history with this story today. Because uh, we have a story on WSJ.com today, a uh, good story out of our commodities team about issues in the cheese market. And, and the issue is that there's too much cheese. And we will explore that. We have the reporters here with us. We'll explore that. But the, the upshot is that there is so much cheese 
beyond what is needed for regular supply of, of all you cheese lovers out there, that it would take, it's, it's a cheese glut. It would take every single American eating three pounds of cheese for the rest of this year to work off the cheese glut. Every every person in the country has to eat at least, th- has to eat three extra pounds. Three extra, right? above what you right. normally eat, above your cheeseburgers and, and grilled cheeses and all those things. So here's what we did. <laughs> we are going to try to help. We're going to try to help. We're going to we, help the farmers of America out. We went out and bought three pounds of cheese and are now about to start eating. Uh, yeah, and we have How's it right here. Uh, if you Maureen, look on Twitter, ahead. we took some pictures. Maureen Farrell is here. We have the doors to the studio open. We have invited a bunch of reporters to come up and help us eat three pounds and of so cheese. And so far, only Maureen took us up and, on that yeah, invitation. They'll be coming. They're, they're, they're gavones. They'll be coming. And to talk about the story, because we're not just about doing stupid things with food here. We're, there is a real story here. So to talk about the story, we have in the studio, we have Julie Wernow, and in Chicago on the phone, we have Kelsey G. Ladies, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Hey, thank you guys for having us. The cheese uh, looks delicious. So, you know, the first question I have, I want to know, uh, Kelsey, you're the one out in, uh, out in the heartland there. Did, did you go out to some farms to, to get some firsthand reporting? You know, we, I, we didn't go out to any farms. We talked to a whole bunch of farmers who um, have really, you know, been the, been the ones who have contributed the most to this glut that we're currently facing um, and, and by no fault of their own, they're just responding to the economic signals of the last few years to really ramp up production. What I thought was interesting is that it takes so long to respond that everyone everyone started ramping up production when there was a real need for it, and mm-hmm. it, 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 sort of, it backfired. It, and it sounds like it keeps backfiring over and over again in, in the commodities world. Yeah, yeah. The commodities markets, when when it comes to perishable um, animal products, they're kind of different from the grain markets or some of the other um, more stable goods. So um, it takes, you know, a cow at least nine months to give birth to a calf, which means that, you know, back when prices were good and everything was you know, roses in 2013, 2014, when people were making this decision, um, let's really grow our business. Um, you know, it takes it takes years for, you know, you decide, okay, I'm going to impregnate all of these cows that are currently on my farm so that I, you know, have a bigger herd in the years ahead. Um, and then it takes a year or more for these calves to grow up and become, you know, productive animals. So, you know, in the meantime, you know, look what's happened to the U.S. dollar. You know, look what's happened to exports. Um, it's really just a totally different landscape than, than it was two years ago. Yeah, there's all sorts of things. I mean, walk us through all the factors that are that are um, happening here. You know, what, what's what's changed in, since these people decided to ramp up production? Yeah, so so we talked to these farmers, you know, who decided to and give me some cheese. Yeah, here you go. Here you go. For God's sakes, we got three pounds of cheese we're gonna get. Now Dave Benoit's everybody with my mouth full. I feel so bad for Kelsey. Kelsey, you have to listen to this whole thing. There's such great cheese here. It's such good cheese here. Don't chew too close to the microphone. That's New York cheddar. That's New York cheddar. I was eating. That was fantastic. That was very good. All right. Yeah. So basically, yeah. No, milk prices were really high, and so these farmers were like, great, you know, let's expand. Um, and then what happened is uh, a couple things. Actually, in, in Europe, they're having a glut there. They um, First of all, Russia's not taking a lot of their products anymore. So in addition to the fact that we had a strong dollar that was making it, um, you know, a little bit uh, kind of 
more expensive uh, to, to to take this American cheese. We also had a bunch of European cheese coming in because they were saying, "Well, we have too much of it here," and so it just you just saw this glut grow and grow, which in some ways for consumers is nice, right? You cheese is cheaper. Well, that's one thing I was wondering. Like, why? I think your mic's off. Oh, my mic's off because I was chewing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, why why don't supply and demand forces just balance this issue out and cheese gets a little bit cheaper and we all have great cheese? I, you know, they they really, they overproduce to that extent. Is that the issue? Yeah, I mean, it's huge. Um, Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, what I love is that you describe these commercial cold storage freezers in your story here. This, this, that's, so, yeah, tell so us about those freezers. That's part of the issue. So um, when prices are low uh, in the dairy market and, and to some extent the meat markets as well, you have a couple of options. So you can just discount at the wholesale and then eventually at the retail level so consumers are just faced with, you know, half the price of what they're, you know, used to to seeing when they, you know, go into the meat case or into the deli. Um, or, you know, you can you can try to ramp up ex- exports, which hasn't really worked out very well for dairy producers in the U.S. this year, um, or you can put it into cold storage freezers and hope that when you take it out, uh, the market will be better. So um, I think that's part of the reason why um, we've seen this backlog, because so many people just decided at the same time, these prices suck. You know, I'd much rather you know put them into warehouses and see what could happen. And so, you know, what, we're, what I've heard from some of these cold storage guys is, um, they're full, and so at this they're point, full of, they're um, full of cheese. They're full of cheese. That's incredible. Uh, you in know, fact, you wrote in the story that there's a record-breaking 1.19 billion pounds of cheese in commercial cold storage freezers. That's amazing. Yeah. Up 11 percent from last year. Yeah, this one guy I talked to in Des Moines said that they're so full that if they were, you know, more full, they just wouldn't be able to move around the warehouse. They wouldn't be able to to move inventory around, and so they're investing, you know, something like sixteen million dollars in a new wow. in a new facility because there's just there's a lot of protein in the United States right now, and they just have to find a place to put it. Wow. Well, here's what I was wondering about I'd, that. I'd, I would like to point out one thing before you ask that question. Yeah. Uh, Eric Holm is a terrible cheese getter. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I point, I point to Eric and I, was, and I, yeah, I give him a little signal saying, "Cut some cheese, cut some cheese." We're never going to get through. He, this well, cheese. no, I cut several did, pieces. He, he I just cuts didn't it for himself <laughs> and starts eating it. Here, on his have own. some cheese. Here, have some. Unbelievable! Cheese. Absolutely unbelievable. All right, Julie, coming at you. Oh, up, oh, more cheese, people. Here you go. Yeah. All right. Plenty of cheese here. Go for it. Go for it. We get get back on the. There you go. All right. More cheese. Oh my goodness! Thank you. All right. So what I was wondering though on this question, this guy who's building more cold storage. I mean, the cycle turns at some point, right? Are, are they going to be just as slow to respond to the market forces and then end up with even more storage space than they had before? And, wow. and the, I mean, it takes time to build factories, too, just like it takes time to breed cows, right? Yeah, it does. And I think, I think some of those guys are looking at the sort of longer-term trend. I mean, if you walk back a few years, you've seen that the trend in, you know, just sort of global protein demand has been higher. You know, as we've seen these populations across the world incorporate more and higher quality uh, meats and cheeses uh, into their diets. And so I think they're trying to take the long view here, which is that even though um, we may see um, some response in terms of, you know, cutting down production uh, to this glut we have now, um, that maybe in a few years, you know, that will, that will, the pendulum will swing in the other direction. 
I have so much well, cheese, I can't even hold it. Take it in. Yeah, the Ben Eisen's here. Ben Eisen. Ben Eisen is here. Hi, Ben. Eat some cheese. We're we're on. We're we're taping the podcast, and we are live on Periscope. Hashtag this is, this is total multimedia cheese eating effort. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna oh, talk hi. and chew. No, no, talk through it. Talk through yeah, it. What you gotta talk through it. You yeah, gotta talk through it. Yeah, just that uh, it's, already Americans are eating 36 pounds of cheese a year, and so wow. some of these uh, analysts that's an who astounding get astounding number. It's a lot. Yeah, that's I don't know. Lot. I think it sounds too low. It's a small child. <laughs> <laughs> ben agrees. It's about right. Yeah. So they didn't. Yeah, there were some analysts who were like, "It might. It's possible we could all end up eating an extra three pounds of cheese." We've been seeing increases. Um, I mean, they're putting cheese in uh, pizza crusts now, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. and um, mm-hmm. they're making you know tacos that have more cheese in them. That these the um, the fast food chains have a tendency to take advantage of these lower prices when they come up and really market a lot of cheesy items. So you'll see those out there. Well, um, I mean, if che- yeah, if cheese is cheaper, it's uh, it's easier to add it to your products, right? That's that right. Sounds fantastic. Ben, how's the cheese? Uh, Kelsey, how how dire does this situation become for everybody involved in the market? I mean, uh, some of the cheese, as you point out in the story, you, some of it can be stored for a long time. Some of it can't be stored for a long time. But I mean, how, and, and both of you, how badly do the economics of this get out of whack? And how much pressure does that put on the farmers, on the producers, uh, on storage, come on everybody? So um, I'll, maybe I'll try a stab at this first, and then, Julie, you can chime in if there are other things that occur to you. But um, for the people I've talked to, it seems like uh, the last couple of years have been good enough to insulate a little bit from um, how bad prices have become this year. So um, lucky for dairy farmers, um, feed is still cheap. You know, we still have a glut of grain and forage and all sorts of other um, input costs um, for running your dairy business. So um, they they won't face too much pressure, you know, in the immediate term, um, but eventually they will get the signal that you know milk prices are not so high that they need to to do everything they can to to keep production high. Um, but if you think about it, you know, in the commodities markets, the first thing you do when your per pound prices start to falter a little bit is you ramp up volume. You know, it's it's it sort of adds to the supply glut situation in the near term because you're really trying to insulate a little bit by selling just more of what you have. You know, another thing, there was so, this is such a good story. And another thing I learned is that um, you can freeze cheddar for how long? Decades. For really <laughs> decades? That was, that was news to me, too. Literally decades? <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Literally but, decades. But, uh, you know, cheese lovers out there, you cannot freeze your feta for that long, is what I learned mm-hmm. today right. reading your story. How long? It's, it's, how, it's yeah. a high-moisture cheese, so it'll, um, it'll get crumbly and kind of gross if you freeze it. Um, for very long, it has to be so. There's, it's so it's really really fascinating. Actually, to me, as somebody who really loves cheese, um, each cheese has its own you know <laughs> specific refrigeration directions. And so this one cold storage guy uh, I talked to sent me this whole product list where you know feta and blue cheese also is really does not store well at all, which maybe you can you can imagine because of it's already kind of moldy. Mm-hmm. Right. I think <laughs> do we, we have, have some of that here. Yeah. Here, I think yeah. we have some. Kelsey, I feel so bad for you. This cheese is so good that we got to get it from this. <laughs> place at Grand Central. It's really, it's good. All right. I think we are just about out of time. 
Uh, Eric Holm, I want to thank you so much for being a great cheese. You were like the, you were really the driving force of this this podcast. So I'm, thank you very much. A, my finest accomplishment in journalism. <laughs> some people win Pulitzer's. Some people eat three pounds of cheese. <laughs> uh, Kelsey, Kelsey and Julie, thank you very much. Listen, everyone, come back later. Uh, we will come back for our next podcast where we will get to the very bottom of the the horrific, terrible, uh, the beer glut in America. It's just it's awful situation. <laughs> we're going to do what we can to. to solve that each. problem. Three liters each has got to be done. <laughs> and then uh, steak next week. And then steak next week. Right, right, right. And uh, spam. I think Leslie Joseph wanted us to get into the spam glut. So That's not happening. That's not happening. All right, everyone, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this. We hope you enjoyed listening to Us Eat Cheese, and we will see you very soon. Love this show? Check out others by visiting wsj.com slash podcasts. See our full selection under programs. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.